In July of 2006, I started the eighth job of my career, and I've been there 15 years this year. My family's very proud of me. That's the longest I've ever held a job down. So, kids, right? Rude. One thing I learned early on in this present job is that my boss had a couple of key roles, uh, in my life anyway, both of which she did very well over the years. Uh, there's a higher management team that I don't interact with much on a daily basis, and from them comes the guidance and the directions of what I need to be doing, and one of my boss's roles was to bring those directions down to me and to my colleagues. But she also had another role that we're going to focus on today, and there were times that I had questions or concerns from down here that needed to go up here, and I don't have connection to do that, so I would relay my concerns to my boss, who then would take them directly to those in higher administration. Sometimes uh, she took my concerns directly. I said, I have this concern. She says, fine, I'll let them know. Sometimes I had a concern but didn't know what I should be asking for, and we would talk about it, and she would provide guidance about what that should look like, and she would then represent me after we talked about it and say, well, I think you should ask for this. Said, okay, that sounds good, and she would take it up. And there were times that she would come back and tell me of things that she had represented me for that I hadn't even asked about. I didn't know about it. I didn't even know I was supposed to ask, but she knew they were important. She said, oh, yeah, I talked to them about this, and they agreed to do this. And, wow, I didn't even know I needed to do that. So what a comfort and encouragement it has been over the years to know that someone is there to represent my interests on my behalf. And that is the role of what's called an intercessor, one who intercedes, one who represents my interests, in this case, before the administrators of the company. To intercede means to ask for something on behalf of someone else. And so my boss worked as that role of asking them on my behalf. So she was representing me. And so what a difference it makes to know that if you're a nobody, that there's a somebody who knows you and loves you and is willing to represent you to someone way above you. And so today's study, which I've entitled, What is Jesus Doing Today?, involves a look at this idea of an intercessor. And so we're going to spend some time looking at that. So as we dig into this, let us, uh, I'd like to just stop and pray again for a moment. So Father, as we look at your word today, I, I really see here that human words cannot capture the great truths that are contained here in, in your word today. So I pray that your spirit would use your words to speak to us today and give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand all that you would have us see of you today. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So what is Jesus doing today? I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time. Not all, but most of our time today. Romans 8. In the first part of Romans 8, Paul reminds us what God has already done for us. He says that we who are believers in Jesus have been forgiven of our sin, we've been given a new life, and we have been adopted as children of God, all because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead on our behalf. And now our goal as Christians, after trusting in Jesus as our Savior, is to journey through life learning what it is to turn from 
sin to holiness, to turn from living for ourselves to living for God in the midst of the sufferings and the challenges of this world. A great illustration of that is, is marriage. When a couple is first married, they come together on that wedding day, they are totally 100% married. They will never be more or less married. But after that wedding day, they spend the rest of their lives working out what it means for two people facing the challenges of life to really live together in love, growing to serve, trust, and please each other in new ways. And I think that's a good analogy for the Christian life. When you put your faith in Jesus as your Savior, that's just the beginning. The rest of your life on earth is spent facing the challenges of life by learning to love, trust, and please God in new and increasing ways. So with that journey in mind, Paul closes Romans 8 with two remarkable things about what God is doing for us now. And I encourage us not to miss this because this is what's happening today. Even now, at this moment, this is going on. And so let's look at that. So these two things. The first we see in chapter 8 of Romans, verses 26 and 27, and I'm going to read those. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself prays for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Bible tells us that when we put our faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to live with us, in us. And here we see in verses 26 and 27 that the Spirit helps us in an area of great weakness, and that is in our prayers. And we know that God has invited us to pray to him, and he has told us that we will have what we ask for, anything that we ask for, if we ask according to his will. But when faced with various challenges, I don't know about you, but when faced with various challenges of life or the sufferings of this life, when life happens, it's not often clear what his will is. If I want to pray according to his will and know that he'll hear me and he'll answer those prayers, it's not always clear what his will is. What should I be praying for? How should I be praying about this situation? And Paul says in verse 26, that's one of our weaknesses. He says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And so on one hand, if God says, well, ask me anything, and if you ask according to my will, I'll answer, but we don't know your will. How do we fix that dilemma? What is the answer to that dilemma? And Paul says here in Romans 8, that God himself fixed that dilemma. If you look again at verse 26, at the second part, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The God the Spirit himself, Paul says, takes the deepest groanings of our hearts and turns them into prayers to God that perfectly reflect the will of God. The Spirit is interceding for us. He is taking us and our concerns to God. And it's very interesting that Paul says the Spirit himself, the Spirit himself. He, 
God did not delegate this to someone else. He's not leaving this work to anyone else. It is the Spirit Himself is doing it. And look where He's working. He's working at the level of our hearts, the deepest, darkest places of our hearts, the foundational core of our being, the deepest part of who we are and how we think. What Paul is telling us here is that the Spirit takes the often incoherent cries of our broken hearts and the things that we want to ask God and turns them into perfect prayers. Just like my boss, who we chat about things, and I've got this concern, but I don't know what I should do. The Spirit understands those things. He understands what the will of God is, and He takes my concerns and my cries and my pains and translates them, interprets them into things that are consistent with the will of God and intercedes for us on our behalf. I think a great illustration of that, I've shared this before, but I think it's a great one. Uh, many of you know I, I work as a medical doctor, and often I'll have people come to me and say, Doc, I need a CAT scan. I mean, that's their first words. It's not, sometimes it's even before hello. Oh, hi. Doc, I need a CAT scan. Well, what are, they, what are they communicating? They're communicating that they have a problem, and their proposed solution is the CAT scan. Well, it's my job to discover what the real problem is, to dig around, to dig in the, the, how they're feeling and what's going on, which then leads to what the right answer is. So I often end up not doing for them what they asked for, but I end up doing for them what they really wanted and needed, and that was to find out what's going on and to feel better. So their prayer, if you will, was I need a CAT scan. My answer may be very different, but it's not that I didn't answer no, or that I answered no to the prayer. I answered yes, because their real desire was to feel better. They just came up with this proposed solution. Don't we do that all the time, God? I need you to do this. Well, our proposal is answering a problem that God knows can be answered a better way. And so that's what he does. He answers a better way. The Spirit takes those prayers and those concerns, and just like the doctor fiddling around, say, okay, well, tell me about this. Tell me about this. Does it hurt when I push here? Of course it hurts when I push there, right? Because I know right where to push to make it hurt. We try to figure out what's going on so we get to the real answer so that we can get to the final solution that will help. Sarah Groves wrote a song called What I Thought I Wanted. What I Thought I Wanted that expresses these concerns. And a recurring line in that song is what I thought I wanted and what I got instead. What I thought I wanted and what I got instead. So we come to God thinking there are certain things we just need to have and the Spirit is there praying for us and giving us what we really need. He gives us something, sometimes it's very different than what we asked for, but it's exactly what we needed in that moment. And it's really what our, the cry of our heart was at that moment. We just didn't know it. So God the Holy Spirit is living in us, perfectly doing the praying for us, representing us perfectly before God the Father to do us good. And because the Spirit prays on our behalf, and according to the will of God. He's making both those connections. He's praying on my behalf and he's praying according to the will of God. Because he is doing those things, God will not always give us what we ask for, but he will always give us what we need and are really asking for, what we really wanted all along. So the Holy Spirit is always interceding for us from a position deep within us. He's interpreting the cries of our hearts, the pains of our hearts, and as I said, the often incoherent cries of our heart to take them to our Heavenly Father.
Well, that's the first. What's the second one? The second one, let's pick up uh, verse 31 of chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The Bible tells us that after Jesus rose from the dead, he was crucified, buried, rose from the dead three days later. And after he rose from the dead, after spending some time here on earth with his disciples, he ascended back into heaven. And Paul reveals to us here in these verses that Jesus is at the right hand of God and is himself interceding for us. He is appearing before God the Father on our behalf. And in verses 33 and 34, we see, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised. What Jesus is dealing with is when accusations come against us. Who shall charge us, Paul says, of any sin against God? Who is there to condemn us as guilty and worthy of eternal punishment? Well, who indeed? Uh, maybe other people. Have you ever been in that situation where uh, other people condemn you or try to make you feel guilty? Or what about yourself? How many times have you just told yourself that you're guilty and worthless and no good and deserving of condemnation? And the Bible tells us that Satan himself appears before God. He's called the accuser of the brothers and sisters in Revelation 12, verse 10. Satan is the accuser. So whoever it is that's before God accusing us of things, whether it's other people, it's our own conscience, our own self, or Satan himself, whatever it is, whoever it is, whatever the charge, whatever the crimes against God, Jesus is interceding for us. If there's an accusation, Jesus is telling the Father, well, I died to take the punishment for his or her sin and myself. If there's a condemnation or a charge, Jesus is standing before the Father, says, wait, I rose from the dead, I defeated death, and I gave to him or her a new life. If there's some kind of guilt that comes along, Jesus is saying, and I am now here interceding on his or her behalf to declare that because of my life, death, and resurrection, he or she is not guilty. And Father, I'd like to add, would you please enable him or her to stand against the temptation and come out safely on the other side? So here is Jesus himself interceding for us in the very throne room of the heaven. Well, back to my boss. As good an intercessor as my boss is, uh, there is no guarantee that she'll always be there for me. Uh, in fact, uh, the sad news is that she has been reassigned. And you can feel bad for me. And as of today, actually, today is the official date, she will be leading another division in the company and will no longer be my supervisor, which means she will no longer be my intercessor. And I will tell you that's creating a bit of anxiety and concern, not only in me, but also in my coworkers. Certainly, I believe that God is going to take care of me. But from a practical standpoint, this is a major change. I've lost my intercessor. 
well, what about Jesus? Am I going to lose my intercessor? Is there a fear that I'm going to lose the one who intercedes for me? And to that, if you want to turn there, you can. Well, I'll, I'm just going to turn there and read it. This is in Hebrews chapter 7. starting in verse 24, talking about Jesus. Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for them. He is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to save completely to the ends. There is no failure. There is no chance of this not happening because he is the perfect intercessor who lives forever. He is not going to be reassigned to a new division. He is not going to die. He is not going to go away. He lives forever and is sitting, standing at the right hand of God, interceding for us. He is the perfect intercessor who lives forever. There's a hymn that many of us know entitled Before the Throne of God Above, and I'm just going to read some excerpts from that because I think it's very pertinent. The first part of the first verse says, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. And verse 2 says this, When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. So Jesus is always interceding for us from his position at the right hand of God. So what is God doing for us today? Well, there are two intercessors at all times. And I just think this is, I I just wish we could capture this and understand this. I've been struggling myself to, to capture this in my own understanding and experience. The Holy Spirit is constantly interceding with the Father on your behalf from a position inside of you at the deepest level of your heart. When you do not know what to pray as you ought, He interprets the deepest groanings of your hearts and turns them into effective prayers to God the Father. The Holy Spirit is working deep within us at the deepest level of our hearts to take our concerns to the Father. And Jesus is constantly interceding with the Father in your behalf from a position at the right hand of God himself. When you don't think you're worthy of God's attention, when temptation rages or guilt or condemnation have gripped your soul, Jesus is always pleading the effectiveness of the blood of his cross and the power of his resurrection on your behalf. So unlike my boss, who I'm down here, administration is up here, who comes, talks to me, and then goes up, talks to my boss, we have two intercessors, one that is always with us, always listening to the the concerns of our hearts, and we also have one who is always sitting at the right hand of God who knows exactly what's going on and exactly what to pray. That's what's going on right now for every one of us is the Spirit is interceding for us according to the will of God and Jesus is interceding for us, something which he will do forever and ever.
as I say, I struggled with this this week to even let it sink in to, to grasp what that means. But I think if we could get a hold of that, it would give us a deeper sense of rest and peace in the midst of the trials and knowing that Jesus cares, God cares. The Spirit is there to interpret those groanings of our hearts to the Father who loves us. And Jesus is taking those concerns to the Father. I'd like this to look at an example now, because we know that all of Jesus' prayers are answered by God, right? Every one of Jesus' prayers are answered by God, because he always prays according to the will of God. And I'd like us to get a glimpse of what's on his prayer list for us, at least one of the things that's on his prayer list. And to that, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Jesus is meeting with his followers for one last time before he is crucified. He knows what's coming. And in just a short time, he knows that he's going to be arrested. He's going to be tried, falsely accused, falsely condemned, and crucified. In less than 24 hours from this point in time that he's talking to them, he will be dead and in a tomb. And he's giving these closest followers, these 12 people, uh, probably 11 by now because Judas has left, some final words. And he turns to Peter. Many of us know Peter from the Gospels. He turns to Peter with these three statements. And we'll see them in, verse, in uh, Luke 22, verse 31 to 34. Simon, Simon, which is another name for Peter, Behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. What are these three statements that Jesus says? First, he says, Behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. That word demanded to have you is an interesting one. What it means is Satan has asked for and has received permission to put you through a sieve, to sift you like wheat. This gives us a glimpse into the spiritual warfare that's going on. I wish we had time to dig into that. But here, Satan has appeared before God, and it says, I would like permission to sift Peter. And basically, God said, you have the permission to do so. Jesus' second statement is, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That word fail means to cease to exist, to die, to completely come to an end. Jesus says, I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will not cease to exist. Your faith will not die. Your faith will not come to an end. And what is some, what's going to happen when Jesus prays for something for us? It happens. It's going to happen. It's guaranteed to happen without any doubt, completely. Jesus' prayers are always answered with a yes always. And then look at the third statement that Jesus makes. 
and this is in verse 32 again, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What a message of hope. It says, Peter, Satan is going to sift you. He's going to tempt you. He's going to put you through the mill. I guess that's another way that we say it in our language, right? Satan is going to put you through the mill. But I have prayed that you're not going to fail. And when you have turned again, the implication there is he has turned away, but he's going to turn back. He's going to return. He's going to come back. When you, he didn't say if you turn back. He says when you turn back. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And then, as we saw in verse 34, Jesus adds this statement that Peter will deny him three times before this night is out. And we see that actually fulfilled just a few verses after this. If you look in chapter 22, verse 54, Peter was following at a distance. And during those ensuing verses, we see see in verse 56, a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely said, this man also was with him. He denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Other gospel writers report this third one, that Peter brought a curse on himself when this third thing came about. But look what happens Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And and this is just devastating to me as it was to Peter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that? Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus says, before this night is out, you're going to deny me three times. And as that rooster crows, Peter catches Jesus' eyes who turns to him. There were no words exchanged. That's all he needed to do. And what does Peter do? He goes out and weeps bitterly. We see here that Peter's faith falters. His faith stumbles badly. And and I look at it and I say, well, that looks like a fail to me. That looks like a fail. But according to Jesus, it did not fail. It did not cease to exist. It did not die. Why? Because Peter dug deep and found it himself to pull it all together. No, because Jesus prayed for his faith not to fail, and God answered that prayer. Jesus was interceding on his behalf. And we later see the fulfillment of Jesus' words that when he turns, he's to strengthen his brothers. As we've seen in the book of Acts, as we've gone through that study, God used Peter to greatly establish and teach the young church. It was on Peter's testimony, his eyewitness testimony of Jesus that the church began to be founded and to grow. It was Peter that God used to bring the Gentiles first into the kingdom. He is the author of two letters, First and Second Peter, and the Gospel of Mark is believed to be based on his experiences of knowing Jesus. Mark was, in a sense, reflecting Peter's memoirs. Peter's life is an example that our progress in the Christian life is not dependent on how strong our faith is. Right? Peter's life is an example that our progress in the Christian life is not dependent on how strong our faith is. It is dependent on how strong is the one in whom we put our faith. The key is not the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith. And he is praying that our faith will not fail. 
He is praying that our faith will not fail. Well, what are some thoughts that we can bring this to a close? There are two kinds of people listening to this message this morning. One of those are unbelievers. And the benefits discussed here are really not yours to be a part of. I just have to be honest, because you're not a member of the family. You're not a member of the family. But you can change that by putting your faith in Jesus, coming to him in recognition that you are separated from God because of your sins and believing that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He was raised from the dead to give you new life, to enable you to live for him and not for yourself and the things of this world. And God would invite you today to come to him if you don't know him, if you've not put your faith in him, to trust in him, to entrust your life fully to him. In which case, all the benefits that we've been talking about today become yours. Someone who's not an employee of my company does not have the benefit of my boss's intercession on their behalf. But if they're working for her, they have the benefit. If you're not a member of the family of God, you don't have the benefit of the Spirit's intercession for you. You don't have the benefit of Jesus interceding for you. But if you put your faith in him, you have that benefit forever. But the second group of people is for those of us who are believers, those who have put our faith in Jesus. The truth of this message is to give us hope based in the love of God for us. If you belong to Jesus, no failure is final. Your fate is totally secure forever. The outcome is completely guaranteed. He guarantees that we will make it safely to his side in the new heavens and the new earth. It won't be without falling and failures and stumbling, but it will, not, but it will be without falling or failing completely. There will be stumblings along the way. There will be falling down along the way. And there will be things that we call failings along the way. But if we belong to Jesus because of his interceding for us, no failure is final. No falling is final. Our hope is that we are never, our hope is that we are never alone in our life's journey to turn from sin to holiness, to turn from living for ourselves to living in a way that is pleasing to God. We have that hope because of Jesus, because of the Spirit in us and Jesus at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. We are never alone in this journey through life. We can never be so confused, so weak, so overwhelmed or tempted to quit that the Spirit will stop praying for us, interceding for us from the groanings deep within. We can never sin so much or stray so much that we are beyond the reach of Jesus interceding for us from his place at the right hand of God. We will never cease being part of his family, and he will never cease to pray that our faith would not fail. William Smith, in the book Caught Off Guard, in which we've adapted this study, and I'm um, modifying his statement a little bit. He says, because the Holy Spirit and Jesus are interceding for you, you will always get up one more time than you get knocked down. Anybody here feel like you get knocked down? Today's message is to encourage us, as William Smith said, because the Holy Spirit and Jesus are interceding for you, you will always get up one more time than you get knocked down. You will always get up one more time than you get knocked down. Isn't it good to know that we know someone in high places?
But even better, that someone in high places knows us. He has guaranteed our success, and that knowledge should be a source of great comfort and encouragement. What, what great comfort and encouragement it should be to know we have someone in high places interceding for us, covering that vast distance from the depths of our hearts to the very throne of heaven itself. And because of that, Paul is able to say in Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. I am sure that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father, these are great truths that you have brought to us this morning. That because of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf, that we are your children by faith in Jesus. And because we are your children, we have the Holy Spirit living within us who's interceding for us, who's helping us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we ought. And I pray that you would grip our hearts with this understanding that the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, things that we cannot express. The Spirit understands and puts them into words that are according to the will of God. But not only that, Jesus himself is standing at the right hand of the throne interceding for us. There is no charge that can be brought against us. There is no condemnation that can be leveled. There is no accusation that can stand not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And I pray that you would help us to rest in that today. Help us to rest that we know someone in high places and that someone in high places knows and loves us and has guaranteed our success. May we find comfort and encouragement in that today. So we ask that your spirit would apply the truths of your word to our individual lives as we need and I do pray that if there's someone here who doesn't know you, that today would be the day they come to know you. And we entrust all of these things to your care. In Jesus' name, amen.